all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. Thanks for joining us today. You're listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Joining me today, I have just one of my absolutely favorite guests that we've had on Southern Remedy before. I have Dr. John Vanderloo. He is a family medicine physician, and he runs Vanderloo Family Medicine. And we're here to, to answer your general health questions today. Um, I've gotten several questions in already, some about diabetes, some about COVID vaccine, but we're happy to take your questions today. Our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring it's one 672 You can email us fit at mpbonline.org, or you can go over to Facebook to Healthy Habits with Josie, and you can post your questions there or send them direct message, and we're happy to take those any way you want to send them to us. Good morning, Dr. Vanderloo. Good morning. How are you? I am doing just fine. I have two new baby kittens and wow. they, yes, they, cause we wanted to add some more excitement to this <laughs> party that we've got going on over here at our house. <laughs> and uh, they have been sounding like Buffalo running down the hallway. And I was like, y'all are going to have to get it together before we do the radio here in a minute. Right. And so they have, they have just simmered down and are about to take a nap. So fingers crossed, we don't have any, <laughs> any Buffalo moments um, on the nice. radio, but yeah. So you've got a house full of kiddos. I know that you you know what I'm talking about. With exactly. Those, we've those got, moments. We've got human buffaloes running down the hall. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, so thank you for taking the time to, oh, to join me today. And Always glad to be here. So I think um, we'll start just telling us a little bit about Vanderlee Family Medicine because sure. it's a little different type of, of practice, but it's it great. Is. I love it. So tell me about yes. it. So I'm a, I'm a board-certified family physician, so I see uh, anybody from two weeks uh, to 200 years if you make it that long. Um, but the business model is a little bit different. So I have my clinic in Fondren, uh, which is um, in the old Surin, a Thailand building, um, or the really old, if you're from Jackson, uh, Morrison's Cafe. Yes. Um, and so I've uh, been there for almost a year now, um, and I have a monthly membership model for medicine. So unfortunately for underinsured and uninsured patients, the healthcare is just unaffordable. And so for $65 a month, you can have unlimited office visits, no copays, um, free telehealth, uh, reduced labs, reduced medicine. And uh, it really, really helps people who want to get healthy and stay healthy and treat chronic problems. Yeah, it's it's an absolutely great um, great way to approach primary care, just like you mentioned for folks who are uninsured, but also those who are underinsured. That right. you know the the cost of 
of utilizing that insurance is often uh, prohibitive. And so people don't seek care until, you know, they're much sicker than than we would like for them to be or miss out on preventive health screenings, which, of course, you know, I I love prevention and making sure that we catch things um, early and get them taken care of. And you've got a Facebook page, um, Vanderly Family Medicine. If you're curious about about what he's got going on, you can go over there and and check it out, as well as email me. I'm happy to put you in contact with Dr. Vanderly if you have questions about um, direct primary care. Sure. So it is, it's still November, um, even though I can't decide if November has felt like it's been two days long or like 30 days long. Right. It's, it's a, a mix of those, but. Are we um, still in is, 2020? I, I think so. <laughs> I think so. Feels like it anyway. So um, November is Diabetes Awareness Month, and we've talked um, about diabetes on the show several times uh, throughout this month. And we've gotten several questions that have come in um, on the tail end of that. And these are questions I get in clinic a ton as well. Um, So our first question is from someone who was just recently diagnosed with diabetes. They were put on insulin and they were given a glucometer. But they're not, they're not real sure what the numbers mean on the glucometer. You know, what numbers should they be looking for? So sure. let's kind of unpack that a little bit and talk about blood sugar numbers. What's a normal blood sugar? So normal is pretty much, you know, 80 to 100, 120 um, fasting. And so when we talk about checking blood sugar, first diabetes, diabetes is your body's inability to manage sugar properly. So sugar or glucose is a basic building block of all our nutrition, if you will. Um, We have glucose, it's broken down from fat, protein, and and complex carbohydrates. And our body uses that. Insulin is the key to get it in our cells. If we don't use it right, it builds up. It causes problems. The sugar itself, without even um, having needing an enzyme, which most physiological things need enzymes, but it's the sugar just attacks blood vessels, mm. it attacks nerves, and it causes all sorts of problems with vision, kidneys, heart, uh, feet, things like that. And so getting that sugar as normal as possible is the best way we can do that. And so, of course, insulin, if we don't have either we don't have enough insulin, if you're type 1 diabetic, your pancreas doesn't make insulin, or if mostly type 2 diabetics, you have insulin, but your insulin's insensitive. And that means that the insulin there doesn't work like it should. So what we do is we give you extra insulin, and that helps just kind of pour it on there, and some of it will stick, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> and so really the, the best way to treat you know, type 2 is to kind of double attack it, right? You know, right. So really focus in on addressing what's causing the body's own insulin to not work well, right? right? So addressing that resistance piece, which we can do with with medicines. You know, metformin is kind of classically the medicine that if you have type 2 diabetes, you've probably been on metformin at some point in time. Right. Um, as well as, you know, what I love to do is attack it from a nutrition standpoint and and really work on pulling out those things that are driving um the insulin resistance. And a lot of people think, I mean, carbs, and that's, that's not necessarily the case. Um, you know, all carbs are not, uh, evil uh, and they're just carbs we need to eat more of and carbs we need to eat less of. And as we enter this holiday season, that's going to be a challenge because, uh, plates (laughs) are, are largely filled with things we need to eat less of. This is always the hardest visit between the holidays when you're checking a one season, things like that. Yes, 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 it is. And you know, what I just tell patients is, 
just approach it with what do I really want? So don't just add it to your plate because it's there, but what do I really, really, really want? And focus that plate, you know, three quarters of it, filling it up on really complex carbohydrate type things. So the greens that are there, or if there are beans and black eyed peas and those kinds of things and whole grains and that kind of stuff and pay attention to the things that are just going to add just, just calories and not really any (laughs) nutrition there. And then those things that you absolutely have to have, you know, pick one or two of them and then then leave it alone, right? right like for right. me, you know, sweet potatoes, I've talked about on the show, candy sweet potatoes are my jam and I'm going to have some and I'm going to move on from it, you know? Um, but I'm not going to load up maybe the broccoli and rice casserole that would be there. Cause it's not, it's not my love, you know? Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to just add it for no reason, but you mentioned kind of 80 to hundred, 120, somewhere around in there. It really depends on which organization's guidelines you're looking at, mm-hmm. you know, which lab center you're looking at, you know, some places say 70 to 100, 70 to 110, but really all in all, we definitely want it to be less than 120 when we talk about fasting, which is that that haven't eaten anything or drank. I've learned that lesson. (laughs) If you drink a Coca-Cola, you're not fasting. Right. right. So, um, you know, eight hours or so without eating anything that has calories in it or drinking anything that has calories and you can have water and that kind of stuff. Um, but what about like after a meal, when so we should wanna, we get concerned? Yes. Yeah, so we want to wait two hours before, you know, after a meal, because we know that when we eat sugar, it's going to spike and we don't want to be worried about a level that's a little bit higher, you know, postprandial under 200. And really the goal is about 140 um, after two, um, after two hours of checking it. And that's kind of our goal is what we look for. Yeah, absolutely. And that's an important thing that you mentioned there, that two-hour wait time. It really is important when um, when we're trying to evaluate blood sugars. You know, I have a lot of patients that come in um, to see me, and they'll say, well, you know, I can't have oatmeal because it runs my blood sugar up, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I'll say, okay, well, when, when are you checking it? You know, and it may be 30 minutes, 30, 45 minutes after breakfast. It, it's going to be up. Like, you know, so that doesn't truly tell me how your body is able to metabolize that grain that we're talking about and what right. it's actually doing. Cause we haven't quite given our body enough time to process it all. Now, if it's running your sugar up to 400, yeah, probably we don't, we probably don't, we're going to do something different, <laughs> but, but you know, if it's sitting in the, you know, one forties, one fifties, something, something like that, then we really want to give it that two hours so that we can see if your body was able to handle that glucose load and bring it on back down. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. I'm Allison Walker, the lady auto mechanic, host of AutoCorrect. If you're enjoying this podcast, try my podcast, AutoCorrect. We help steer you in the right direction with your car problems. Find me on any podcast platform or at autocorrect.mpbonline.org.
This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. You're listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, nurse practitioner at UMMC, and I'm joined today by Dr. John Vanderloo with Vanderloo Family Medicine, and we're answering your general medical questions today. Our number is 1-877-MPB-RING, and we're going to go straight on over to the phone lines and talk with Bill this morning in Tennessee. Good morning, Bill. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Thank Uh, you for waiting on us. Oh, no problem at all. That kind of a comment and co- comment and a question. Okay. Um, I have been. Uh, I would think I was diagnosed type two. Oh my God, it has to be over twenty years ago. Okay. I'm sixty-two now. I'm disabled. I have a debilitating back problem. But um, I, I firmly believe, and I hope you reinforce this, and I think it's an important message: is the, the importance of uh, the. the the, the balance of it all. It's not just the medication. It's not just eating. It's it's everything. Because one of the things that Knockwood, thank God, has kept me out of trouble all these years. Um, I think when I really, really started getting uh, heavy, it, it dawned on me because my numbers started getting out of whack. And if I'm exercising, even with my bad back. I find a way to move around and do something every day, even if it hurts. And I pay attention to what I'm eating, and I take my metformin every day. My numbers haven't moved. Uh, they stay healthy. Yeah. That's and, wonderful. And it is just so important. It is you very, know? very important. And, and people and just don't realize that. I lost a gentleman who should be, if, if he was alive, my age, um, one of my best friends in the world, uh, his whole family was prone to diabetes. His mother lost limbs and suffered something terrible. And he just had this awful attitude about it. And we would ask him and beg him and plead him with him to take care of himself. And he just said, it's inevitable. That's what happened to my mom. And I literally watched this man die in front of my eyes over the years because he didn't take care of himself. So it is, it it can be a debilitating disease, and I know that some people, no matter how well they try to take care of themselves, it overcomes them. But I, I really have to believe that in the majority of cases, you can have a better quality of life if you really do pay attention to those things. Absolutely. You know, uh, I I thank you for this call because it's so perfectly kind of embodies the way I approach healthcare, right? So I run lifestyle medicine clinic and that's what we do, right? We look at the totality of what is, is going on. It's not just the medicine piece. It's not just the food piece. It's not just the exercise piece. It's really a complex thing going on, right? You know, we, we work on sleep because sleep has a big role in, in glucose regulation. If we're not sleeping well, it's very, very hard to get um, a normal glucose pattern because your hormones are all over the place. You know, I we work on 
Yeah. What's that? <laughs> I have a cure for that, the sleep thing. Tell me. I'm a cat, I'm a cat lover. Uh-huh. You you get a good, sweet, affectionate cat like I have. I've got two of them here, and uh, I've got a house up north when my, my wife's moving down here, and we're, we're uh, retiring here. And I've got I've got two here, and one of them, he is just so over-the-top affectionate. There is nothing that helps sleep better than having a buddy who jumps up on you <laughs> and purrs you to sleep every night. Well, you know, I mentioned at the beginning of the show, I've got two new kittens. They're about two months old, and they um, are actually curled up beside me right now. Um, yep. And you know, they are. And the other thing that pets are good for that kind of wraps into this whole thing is stress and stress management, yes. because that is such an important piece. You know, I heard you mention about about your friend and kind of how they had such a hard time you know dealing with their diagnosis and all these kinds of things and there is a strong link between diabetes and also depression and anxiety and those types of things and when you've got both of those things going on at the same time it can feel like there's no way to dig yourself out of that you know and And so really really working on that yeah, I'm a person with also that has d- depression issues and, and mm-hmm. such, and I'm in therapy. And um, yeah, oh good. But but my cats, oh my god, <laughs> they help so much because they really. Do you know how? Uh, I'm sure you do. I'm sure you both do. Uh, how 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 beneficial it is to have a loving cat just purring in your lap. It calms you down. It takes your blood pressure down. You know. It's it's so important, and that that could be the same with a dog. If you're a dog mm-hmm. lover, you know. Oh, my my question. A one C A one C versus. I'm I'm really interested in you 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 guys' opinion on this. A one C versus blood sugar, because I found all the years that I've been uh, treated for it. Um, I don't know if it's maybe because my number stays down safe, but I've never been encouraged or even talked to about monitoring my blood sugar. I mean, my number generally, my number generally, I get tested every six months, and my number is almost always on the spot, A1C at six. That's awesome. So, yeah, so A1C is is based on three-month average of blood sugar. And so if you you prick your finger or you have a blood drawn and you have a, a number of, a sugar of 200, is that coming down from 300? Is it going up from 100? We don't know. It's one point in time. So it's important to, to have a meter when you have diabetes because there are some days where you feel terrible. And if you have low sugar, you want to be able to check it and make sure that that's not what's causing you. Or, you know, if you, if you have low sugar or if you have really high sugar, it may be time to talk to your doctor or sometimes infections or stress or things like that can cause you to be uncontrolled when you're typically controlled. The A1C is an average of your blood sugar over three months. And so that gives us a better picture month to month. Like you said, you're now well controlled, so you're spaced out to six months. So, you know, usually three to six months is when we check it. And that lets us know in how well you're controlling day to day to day to day, month to month. And so that's the difference between a point in time blood sugar versus an average of your hemoglobin A1C. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, when we have people checking their their finger sticks more frequently, it's usually because we're using that number to guide treatment decisions, right? So if you're always in the morning, your blood sugar is staying over, you know, over 140 per se, then we may can adjust some medication to help that. 
or maybe your fasting number is fine, but it's your after meal blood sugars that are, are going up. And so we, especially if we're on different types of insulin that have different act mechanisms of action and times of action, then we'll use those blood sugars to know which is which insulin to adjust and by how much. So with the fact that you're only on metformin um, and that your blood sugar is in that controlled range is why they're not asking you to check your sugar on a routine basis because it's not going to really change anything from a management perspective. You're not going to pop an extra metformin or throw an extra right. kitty cat on your lap. Right, so. right. That neither of those things are going to work. Now, if you went and your A1C had suddenly jumped, like maybe you were up into the seven range, then you know if you were working with me, I would most likely have you do fasting sugars for a little while and then some some after meal sugars as well. So I could see when those elevations were, were coming uh, so that I would know which medicine to add um, to your treatment plan. All right, Bill, thank you so much for that call and for the, for the cat love this morning. We do have another caller on the line, John in Mobile. Good morning, John. Yes, ma'am. Uh, I hope everybody's had that coffee this morning. I have had two cups of coffee this morning, so I am ready to go. What you got for me? I, I usually don't take advice unless someone's been properly been caffeinated. 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 That's a good rule. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Listen, I'm 75. I'm on uh, Tejo and Novolog. Uh, let me ask you a question about the lag time between the time you take the Novolog and the time it kicks in. Um, the reason I ask is that I have a continuous glucose monitor, and uh, I'll take a reading before, a reading afterwards. I notice there's a lag between the time it kicks in, and so that's the question. Uh, is there a lag time that, that I really shouldn't be checking the blood sugar until that lag time is passed to give me a, a proper feedback on what the sugar level should be? Yeah. Dr. Vanderlyn, what are your thoughts? So usually it kicks in within an hour or so, 30 minutes to an hour is when, uh, when the Novolog kicks in. Mm-hmm. For some people, it may come a, a little sooner than that or a little later than that. You know, we kind of all metabolize things a little bit differently. The Novolog, you know, when it ends with log on the end instead of lin on the end, like Novolin, um, those are fall into the rapid acting category. Yeah, this is a ra- it's a rapid acting category. Yeah. And so for some people, it will onset and start to work, which, so let me back up just a second. So there's onset and there's peak, right? So onset is when it first starts to do anything. And then peak is when it reaches maximal effectiveness. And then there's duration, you know, how long it lasts. And so any of the insulins that we talk about, we always look at those those three things, the onset, the peak, the duration. And so for some people, it will onset in about 15 minutes. Um, And some people, it takes about 30 before it really starts to to kick in and do its thing. But by an hour, it really should start to be, you know, be seeing some considerable reduction in blood sugar from that. Um, For people who are injecting Novolog, um, I usually tell them, make sure you have your food kind of like in front of you (laughs) before you give your Novolog. Um, like don't go to a restaurant and give yourself your Novolog and then order your meal because if something happens and it's delayed and all that kind of stuff, you may, you may swing the other way and have a, have a low spell before your food gets there. Um, so I usually recommend that we're kind of, kind of looking at our food before we take that Novolog injection. Cause some people it does work 
pretty doggone quickly on it. I've noticed one other thing, and that is I, I checked the, uh, the continuous glucose monitor against the, the finger prick method, and I mm -hmm. noticed that the finger prick method is about 20 or 30 units higher than the continuous glucose monitor. When I, when I asked the uh, healthcare provider, um, Abbott Labs, about the difference, mm -hmm. they're telling, they're, they mentioned the word interstitial fluid as opposed to blood fluid. What What's the difference there? The, the glucose monitor is the interstitial versus the fingerprint, yes. which is blood. So. Okay. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to say, so, interstitial is a word we need to have caffeination for, because it's a good one. <laughs> so interstitial fluid means in between the uh, interstitial, in between different various tissues. And so you have your blood, and your blood is, of course, made up of different, uh, you have your plasma, your blood, your platelets, your white blood cells, all these different things. And your interstitial fluid is more of a, um, a, a pure fluid, if you will. And so that's where you can have that variance in the difference between your blood glucose in your interstitial. Yeah, because the, the finger stick that we do, that's taking a, a capillary blood glucose. So, you know, things that are down in those little tiny vessels, a little bit different than the interstitial space. So you may see a little bit of variation. Same deal if we do a capillary, so a finger stick, and then draw blood from a, a vein, there may be a little bit of fluctuation there uh, as well on those kinds of things. Um, so I'm not surprised to, to hear you say there's a little bit of variation um, in between there, and you're not the first person to tell me that they have a little bit of difference in between those two things. Is there a range of uh, readings that I should be looking for if I'm doing the, glu the continuous glucose monitor? You know, there's, there's a window there for the blood stick, 80 to 120. Is mm -hmm. there another range that, that's more appropriately uh, indexed towards the continuous glucose monitor that I can that I can use as a guide? Hmm. Dr. Vanderlee, well, do you no, know I, that's that? usually the, the one I, I go yeah. for because what you don't want to do is overshoot, uh, yeah. like, like Dr. Josie said, and uh, you know get hypoglycemic with it too. So you know there's a there's a tightrope balance with some folks who are, you you don't want to have super high numbers, but super high numbers long term can kill you, but low numbers can kill you shorter and right. quicker. And so right. that's but why you want to have a. <laughs> so if you have zero glucose, you're going to die a lot quicker than a 400. Right. Um, right. And so, you know, you want to you want to have that balance of not not being too, too tight all the time and just consistency. Like, you know, don't flip and flop between the two. Like, don't adjust your insulin based off a finger stick. If your physician has dosed your insulin based off of the continuous glucose monitor. Right. right? You know, so it's just consistency and having that that discussion with your provider on which number set you're going to be looking at and staying consistent with that. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. I'm Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law, host of In Legal Terms. If you're enjoying this podcast, I encourage you to listen to In Legal Terms, the show about you and your rights. We find interesting legal topics to bring to you and let you know how the law affects you. 
Find In Legal Terms on any podcasting platform on your smart device or on our website, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Thanks for joining us today on Southern Remedy, Healthy and Fit. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, nurse practitioner at UMMC, and I'm joined today by Dr. John Vanderloo with Vanderloo Family Medicine. And we're answering your questions today about general health. We've had a diabetes focus as it is Diabetes Awareness Month, but we're happy to answer your questions about really anything health-related. Our number is one mpb ring You can email us, fit at mpbonline.org, or you can hop over to Facebook, and it's Healthy Habits with Josie, and you can drop me questions there anytime. So um, kind of one, well, it's a a two-parter question um, we had come in about, still about blood sugar, but we mentioned uh, before the break, like too low of a sugar will, will kill you quick, and then too high of a sugar for prolonged periods of time are also not good for us it's kind of slowly doing damage that can lead to heart attacks and strokes and those kinds of things so one how do we know what a low sugar is and what do we do about it so low sugar is um and it can be relative based on your status right so you may not have diabetes known diabetes but you may have had high sugar for a while and you can have a relative hypoglycemia which means that your sugar's in the normal range but you feel it Sometimes for really, really uncontrolled diabetics, when they're first diagnosed, we bring their sugar down and they feel terrible. Mm -hmm. Their sugar is technically normal, but it makes them feel jittery, shaky, um, uh, like they're going to pass out. And the same thing can happen if your sugar is low in the low, low. So under 60 is usually the cutoff that we use. And so you can feel terrible. The best thing to do is have some kind of sugar available, like a hard candy or a juice and drink that or eat that and, and bring your sugar up rapidly. Yeah. And I, I really like what you just mentioned about the fact that um, that relative low sugar um, that I think a lot of people aren't really super aware of, you know, but if your sugar has been in the 300s for a long time and you, there aren't really a whole lot of symptoms early on <laughs> with, with that. So there's, there's no way for you to really know. Um, that's why it's important to see your healthcare provider and get kind of your annual checkup and those kinds of things. Um, but if we bring it down, even into the, you know, the hundreds, I mean, you know, low hundred, 110, 120, what we would consider normal, you feel like stink, mm-hmm. you know, and you may be very, very confused as to why you're like, but this is what, this is what they told me my numbers should be. Why do healthy. I feel bad, right? <laughs> Why do I feel bad like this? And if I'm going to feel like this at these numbers, this is for the birds. I'll just go back to my 300s where I don't feel bad. Right, you know? exactly. And so what we want to do is make sure that we're bringing your blood sugar down um, consistently and safely, right? right. So, um, you know, I would much rather go a little bit slower and bring it down um, where your body kind of has time to adjust to that. Um, but just, so just know that if I get it from 300 to 200, like we're not stopping, but we're going to give your body a little time to recalibrate itself. We're going to take a rest break. That's right. Yeah. We're going to take just a little little pause and the same is for blood pressure. And I see that a lot, you know, I'll see a lot of patients who their blood pressure may be 180 over a hundred. And it's been that way for a long time. You know, they're walking around with that 
And, you know, if they don't have kind of those danger symptoms, you know, like their blurry vision and pounding headache and dizziness and those kinds of things, they probably had that blood pressure for a long time. And rapidly bringing it down to, you know, 120 over 80, they will feel terrible. They Mm -hmm. even, you You know, know, energy, try to pass out. Yeah, all those kinds of things. And so it's no wonder that they don't want to take their medication. You know, nobody wants to feel like that. And so, you know, we, we're going to do it very, very slowly. You know, we're just going to try and get you maybe to 160 over 90. <laughs> and then, you know, once we get used to that, then we'll just bring it, bring it down. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be a, a race. Um, and again, unless they're in this hypertensive crisis and, or emergency. And that's where having a good relationship with your primary yeah. care provider comes in handy because you don't need, you know, if you get your quote annual visit and you want to get everything done in one year and not come back for another year, you feel a little more stressed to get those numbers a little bit tighter quicker. But if you have an ongoing relationship with your provider, you can take the time to slowly bring it down and bring it back to healthy. Absolutely. All right. I think we have a caller on the line. I missed the name though, um, but we do have a caller on the line that we'll go to right now. Good morning. Good morning. How you doing? I'm just fine. Tell me your name, darling. My name is Travis. Travis Malone. All right, Travis, how can we help you today? Yeah, I've just uh, had some of my friends who are also diabetic always, they always tell me about these different things I can drink to lower my blood sugar. And just a couple of examples have been like apple cider vinegar. And then lately someone was telling me about the uh, pomegranate juice. And I was just wondering, is there anything that you can recommend or say that really does work instead of me just taking the advice of a a random friend about what I can take? Right, mm-hmm. water, but I'll let, <laughs> <laughs> I'll Travis, let Dr. Vanderloo talk about itself. So. Having a healthy dose of skepticism is good when you hear about hometown remedies. So, yeah, yeah Josie's uh, kind of joking, but water is one of the best things you can drink. <laughs> uh, there is some evidence that cinnamon um, can help, but we're not talking about keeping you 300, you know, uncontrolled diabetic you know, bringing you down to, to, to control level. Uh, apple cider vinegar has some studies out there for sugar control, for weight loss, for uh, uh, gastric reflux. But again, it's a very, very mild and it's, um, it, and the, it's not great data compared to what we have available for medications. Um, anything you can do holistically. And, and when we talk about, you know, supplements and things like that, Eating healthy can be a supplement and complex carbohydrates and healthy fats and protein can be supplements that can help you treat diabetes and help you keep, um, you know, juice usually has a lot of sugar in it, a lot of wasted calories. And so if you're chugging a bunch of juice saying, you know, I'm going to help my diabetes, you're actually probably hurting more than you would. Yeah, absolutely. Just like Dr. Vanderloo mentioned, you know, the, the data on apple cider vinegar is, is, is weak. Uh, I mean, it's there. But it's and it didn't used to be there. So, I mean, I'll fully admit that, you know, the first time I heard apple cider vinegar, there was there was not any evidence at all. And I was like, dude, don't do that. You know, and as the science gets better, you know, us in healthcare, we adjust our stance based on the evidence. It's not that we're flip flopping, which, is you know, it's that we're learning and evolving, you know, but I don't think taking an apple cider vinegar shot is a magic bullet. Um, It tastes legit terrible it was what I mean I have patients who are like I just hold my nose and I shoot it and I'm like why would you do that right you know if you don't enjoy it then don't do it now uh, I mean if I'm gonna have a salad I might sprinkle some apple cider vinegar over my my salad you know as part of a, a healthy dressing but just adding apple cider vinegar is not gonna 
you know, be a magic bullet. Neither would taking a pomegranate juice. You know, pomegranate has a ton of antioxidants in it. There are some studies that are coming out about pomegranate and prostate cancer and, you know, the, the benefits of that kind of powerful burst of antioxidant in that particular realm. But just like Dr. Vanderloo mentioned, there's a lot of sugar, not added sugar, right? But sugar nonetheless, without the protection of the fiber, right? So that's where juice goes awry, whereas juice doesn't have any of the fiber in it that's going to keep our blood sugar from spiking and, you know, kind of keep our blood sugar more, more even for, for the long term. So in general, any juice, I mean, I don't care if it's like nectar of the gods, four ounces or less is really all we need to be adding to our, our dietary pattern because it's just going to add sugar without fiber. I'd much rather see you take some pomegranate seeds and sprinkle them on your salad with your apple cider vinegar vinaigrette and get the, (laughs) see what I did there and get the, the full benefit of all the things that those foods have to offer you. All right. Thank you very much. You're welcome, Travis. And thank you for giving us the call. I really appreciate it today. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. Hi, I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. On the original Southern Remedy, we answer questions about all aspects of your health and share some of the latest medical information in the news. You can listen to the show on Wednesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. You're listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, nurse practitioner at UMMC here today with Dr. John Vanderloo. And we've been answering a lot of questions this morning about diabetes. And so it's one of my favorite um, things to to talk about because there is so much that we can do from a medicine perspective, from a lifestyle perspective to get really good control of blood sugar. And it's really never more important than it is right now in the time of COVID when we're seeing um, you know, the kind of the disparity, so to speak, between people without chronic illness and then people with chronic illnesses like diabetes and hypertension and those kinds of things and, and, and the outcome of, of the COVID infection and that so many more people are dying when they have um, chronic illnesses and in particular uncontrolled um, chronic illnesses. And so that brings me to, of course, the questions that I have been getting in my inbox all week long, and that's the COVID vaccine, um, because we hear I'm hearing lots about it, you know, little buds words thrown out there. But what's the what's the skinny on COVID vaccines, Dr. Vander? So, you know, uh, President Trump put in the Operation Warp Speed, and that was uh, a plan to get vaccines as quickly as possible to the people. And from all authorities on the scientific authorities, this has been a very, very fast turnaround for vaccines. Mm-hmm. Um, there are two main ones that are the kind of front runners. One is Pfizer. 
um, and the other one came out as Moderna that just just as of today um, is kind of a little bit better than Pfizer, if you will. When mm-hmm. you look at uh, one of the downsides to the Pfizer one is that um, it's about 90 percent effective, which is amazing for a vaccine, especially when we're talking about a virus who has the potential to mutate and things like that. Uh, but it has to be cold, cold storage. It was like a negative 80 um, mm-hmm. temperature wise. That's, so that's really hard. That's cold. I don't have a fridge that that cold. And so uh, the Pfizer one, it looks like it's about 25 degrees, um, which, you know, and it can hold in a regular uh, fridge for about 30 days. So when you talk about a vaccine that works, I always tell folks the best medicine is one you can get and one you can take. And so if we're talking about money, we're talking about accessibility, uh, having one that's super cold, I'm not sure how that's going to work. But the one that now is a little bit better for fridges probably will help. Um, You know, vaccines... Vaccines are um, very important. We talk about now, you know, in COVID, but we also talk about flu. Mm. You know, I mean, people have have anecdotal stories about the horrors of vaccines, but as a general rule, vaccines are very, very safe, very healthy. They help prevent the spread of terrible diseases. And uh, I'm I'm a very big advocate for vaccines, and so yeah. it's really important to particularly get a flu shot this year and things like that. Yes, I just want to throw yes. that in before we run out of time. Yeah, no, and that, you know, actually what prompted me to to reach out to you and say, hey, can you come do the radio with me this week, was the post that you had on your Facebook that was the question, can you get the flu and COVID at the same time? Mm-hmm. And the resounding answer is what? <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> they don't cancel each other out. It's not no, like, oh, exactly. I got the COVID right now, I can't get and the flu. And that's protective, right. but you know, I'm not going to let any other right. viruses in. Right. And you can get, you can get anything together. You know no, what I mean? Sure. You can get... COVID, you can get flu, you can get strep throat all at the same time, exactly. you know, um, especially when things are transmitted similarly, right? Exactly. You know, when both things respiratory are... viruses, yeah. both. if only there it's... was a way to decrease transmission between people. Hmm. I don't know. Maybe staying, staying away from each other, washing your like hands, six feet? wearing your, like six, at least six at feet, at least six feet, L- put even longer over your if face. you're, yeah, put, put a mask <laughs> on. So, you know, in all seriousness, they, those are kind of the best tools that we have right now, you know, exactly. as, as kind of simple as they sound, right? The science behind why we do them is, is sound, you know. It's, one of my colleagues said the mask is freedom. The mask is not taking away your yeah, freedom. The mask yeah. allows us to stay open, to do visit people, to do things, to go to stores. It is freedom. It is not taking away our freedoms. Yeah. You know, and those of us in the healthcare community, like we're tired. I mean, we're, we're, my nose hurts, my face hurts, hurts, my face hurts. I got, you know, like little acne in a certain line around my face, you know, and these, we're not wearing it for 15 or 20 minutes to run into the store. We're wearing it for hours upon Mm -hmm. hours upon hours. Um, you know, and it is an inconvenience. Like, I'm not gonna lie. Like, it's not, it's not fun. Like nobody wants to wear that. But just like you mentioned, this is until we get a vaccine that's ready for us to take and that the majority of people take do take right yeah then these are the things that we have to do to stay open you know you know i get a lot of pushback with people telling me you know clearly i want things to lock down and those kinds of things and that's not where i am i Mm -hmm. very much want us to go go and do things you know um but the way we do that safely um, is protect these small businesses and these places by wearing our masks so that, you know, if they get, if, 
if the, somebody, if there's a small business that's run by one or two people and they both get COVID, their business closes, you right. know? So we, we've got, we've got to protect each other. And I, you know, I know it's hard, but it's all three of those things together. It's not just the mask. It is the mask. It is staying apart from each other, not mm-hmm. all clumped up in physically groups. distancing, right? Physically distance and washing your hands, whether mm-hmm. that be with soap and water or an alcohol-based sanitizer that, you know, is at least 65, 70% alcohol um, in there. And that's important to look on your, your containers because there's a lot of kind of hand sanitizers out there, some that are kind of benzylconium chloride and that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And those have really not been indicated as the best way to, right. to deal with COVID. The, yeah. Right ethyl alcohol on those. So, you know, we've got two very promising vaccine candidates um, coming out that Pfizer that was about 90% effective, which is it's pretty impressive for a vaccine. <laughs> you know, I mean, when we think about the flu vaccine, we normally say, you know, a good match year is somewhere around 60% or so mm-hmm. effective. The difference with that is there are a lot of different strains of the of the flu. And so it's it's much more of a educated, I don't want to say guess, but, you know, at best education on what is going to be circulating this year when they formulate the flu shot, whereas COVID has a little bit less variability, not to say there's not some kind of subtle differences in strains, but the fact that, you know, both of these vaccines have been so highly effective. So 90% for Pfizer, I have not read the full Moderna report because it came out this morning, but 95% is what I'm seeing, which is mm-hmm. pretty impressive. Um, the, the difference, one of the differences is that it's a, a two-shot series, though. Mm-hmm. So it's not just like a one-and-done kind of kind of thing. So uh, I know the Pfizer was about three weeks apart um, on that. I would imagine Moderna is probably somewhere along in there as well. Um, and so we don't, I don't know enough about it yet to say, you know, what percent effectiveness is conferred if you only get one and, you know, that kind of stuff out there. I haven't pulled those papers and read them yet, but I'm very, very encouraged about um, the effectiveness data that we're and the safety data, because that's the mm-hmm. other piece. So you don't just want an effective vaccine. Right. You want an effective, safe vaccine. And <laughs> because by all we can't, account, <laughs> right? can't replicate if you're dead. <laughs> right. So we want those things to be to be balanced. And by by all accounts that I've seen coming in, the safety profiles are, are very good on these as well. So just because it's been quick doesn't mean it hasn't been done safely. Um, you know, safety is, is a primary concern as well. So we have just about a minute left. Tell me uh, you've two minutes left. I get the two minutes left. All Ooh. right. So now you might can have two thoughts. So what are <laughs> kind of two closing thoughts you have for us, Dr. Vanderloo? So, you know, we talked about a tough time for diabetes for the holiday season coming up. It's going to be a tough time for COVID as well. Yeah. And so we have gone now nine months of social distancing and and we have the urge to get together as families and and friends and and we need to continue this marathon and we need to be safe we need to be outdoors as much as possible we need to keep people physically distant as much as possible it is a very very tough time mental illness isolation depression anxiety are up we need to balance it with being there for each other, but not physically being there in, uh, for people that are outside our, our immediate families, because this is spreading like crazy. It is so easy. Uh, pre-symptomatic and asymptomatic people, that means they don't have symptoms, are, are spreading it. You don't know where you're getting it from. Sometimes we do contact tracing. And so going into Thanksgiving, going into Christmas, just be cognizant about balancing mm-hmm. your love for your family and your love for your family and and just wash hands, mask. Yeah. And, They're not mutually exclusive. Love for your family can mean staying away from them. 
And if you're going to choose to, to gather, my parting kind of plea is that now, today, you start to modify your behavior so that you're not racking up multiple exposures out in the right. community before you join with your family for Thanksgiving. So mm -hmm. don't, don't go places, don't do things unnecessarily. Um, and if you do, are going out, wear a mask mm -hmm. and wash your hands. Mm -hmm. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks.